You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk again this morning about prayer. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It's just a theme on my heart right now. It's not necessarily a every week topic, but um, it's a theme on my heart right now. And uh, last week we talked about the idea of removing, or, or last time I spoke on it, we talked about removing religion from prayer was what I said. And it was the idea of um, taking the striving out of prayer. um, The word religion, one of my favorite definitions that I've heard of religion is form without power. Form without power. I think that um, if we took a deep look for many of us, that might describe a lot of our prayer life is form without power. When God wants to see that area touched and it becomes an area that's just on fire for Jesus. I feel like as the years have gone by, we've, we've come into, how many of you know that uh, there's just a continual, un, there's a continual unveiling of the Father? I mean, every day there's just something else we get to see of him. And um, I think we have, in some areas, come into a greater revelation of like a lot of the things we sing in worship, I think, are becoming maybe healthier ways of singing to God. Um, I, I can't stand listening to songs that just sing about the problems. I, I really need to sing about the answers, and I need to sing to the King of Kings. And, and so I feel like we've done a, you know, made some leaps and bounds in singing. Our, our worship has, has changed. And, um, and there's elements of the Christian life that I feel like we just got to continually see them become more like the Father. And prayer is one of them. Prayer is one he's teaching us a lot in. He's teaching me a lot in. And there's some things I think this morning that will encourage you. But just kind of recapping that last time, I said something that I may say, you know, over and over and over is that when we're praying to God, the reality is in all truth, when he said on the cross, I took care of that, he took care of that. It was either done or it wasn't done. It can't be in the middle. And so... It was either finished or it wasn't. And so uh, starting from that place of the finished work of Christ, how many of you know a lot of just what we do in church would look different if it started from the finished work of Christ? And so just starting from that place, starting with it's already been won, starting your prayer life from a position mentally that it's already been won, that's freeing. That's so freeing to start from a place, worshiping from a place of it's already been won. Let me say it this way. God's already done everything he's going to do about it. Now, when I say that, I always feel people like, well, wait, he answers prayer. He does, but it's not on his end. And I want to give you some scripture this morning to kind of help with this whole process of what that looks like. And so this morning, I'm kind of going to just shotgun it a few different angles on prayer today. But the idea is to talk about this, this thing, constant communion with God. I'm going to be flipping around a little bit in my, in my iPad because I forgot my Bible. This is not my Bible, but I needed a Bible when I preached, so I borrowed one, but I prepared it in another. So if you see me flipping around a lot on my iPad, that's because I forgot my Bible this morning. Um, I want to talk with you. If you have your Bibles, just open them to 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is a pretty familiar scripture on prayer, but uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, actually we'll take it back a, a verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Let's start there. Everybody say rejoice always. 
It's a great place to start prayer. My goodness, if you change, if you don't hear one thing I say from the, the whole prayer time, this whole sermon series on prayer, start from a place of rejoicing. Um, rejoice always, and then it goes on and says, pray without ceasing. And then it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, Jesus Christ, for you. Okay, I want to take those three, those three passages. You know, it's kind of like the prayer sandwich, right? Um, rejoice always, right? Stay in a place of prayer and give thanks. Now, this idea of, of um, you know, rejoice always, obviously there's, there's more to these scriptures. You know, it doesn't mean we get to go around life and every moment of every single day of our life, we are throwing a party. I mean, if you want to, go for it. Some people have fun. <laughs> but uh, I think that if you're not careful, we don't understand that a lot of this is really more Everything I'm teaching is really more about you and your heart than it is about things that you're doing. They flow from the heart. And so he said, rejoice always. Then he, then he said, um, pray without ceasing. Now, this is a really interesting just phrase here because it's, it's important that we understand this thing on prayer. I think prayer, this morning I'm going to call it communing with God. I think it's bigger, though, than our idea of prayer is petition. Now, that's an aspect of communing with God. Like, when we're communing with God in the same way that I may commune with a friend and just ask them something or I need something, there's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, I hope that there's nobody in my life that every time we commune, it's just me asking you for something. Because that relationship is going to get unhealthy real fast. And so this, this conversation, this continual pray without ceasing, the first thing is beginning to understand that our prayer life is so much bigger than our just petitions before God. It is... Decrees at times, it may be uh, just communing and just loving on God and letting him love on you. Really, in all reality, I would pray that we get to the point that when we set aside time to just pray, that honestly, in my life, I want the least of it to be petition. Not against petition. I'm going to worship a lot. I'm going to thank God. Even if it feels like everything is unraveling, I'm going to thank God. Even in the, 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 the place of pain, I'm going to thank God. Why? Because he hasn't changed in my pain. And that gives me such hope. And so it's, it's, it's praying in tongues. And I'm not going to talk about that one this week. I'll probably get to that one before the end of this series. But it's praying in tongues. It's, it's the ability to be able to pray what heaven is praying. Praying in tongues is your secret weapon. Praying in tongues is when you sit down and you have that feeling that says, I don't know what else to say. It's, we all hit that point. That is the point where usually for me, I just say, Lord, you know, in this particular situation, I need you. And I'll just transition into And what happened? All of a sudden, I connected my spirit to what I'm praying for, and I just opened up whatever heaven has to say about that. And I said, I'm just going to let you pray into that. And it is the perfect prayer every time. The Bible does say that there's wrong ways to pray. There, there are scriptures where Jesus said, don't pray this way. We talked about that last week. So we know there's some wrong ways to pray. One thing we do know is that you can't pray wrong while praying in the spirit. That's so encouraging to me. You can't blow it because he's praying through you. And so if your prayer life is formed around needs and petitions unto God, 
you'll end up with a pretty unhealthy connection and a pretty lacking desire to pray because you'll begin to connect prayer with needs. If we're all honest, in all reality, if there was someone that they only came up to you because they were needy, there would begin to be something in your mind that when they come near you, it's like, I don't want to have that conversation. But often that's our prayer to life. And we wonder, why do I not have any desire to go and talk with God? But because you've put this piece together, the only time I talk to him is when I need something. Which is why you feel so great in worship, because you're communing with God, but it's not based on need. And so something I'm learning more and more is that um, persistent prayer, this idea of persistent prayer. Now, this is important. There are times where we need to push in in prayer, but persistent prayer is not so much about changing God. It's really about shaping us so he can answer. I want you to to hear this because I started at the beginning by saying God's done what he's going to do, but there's a lot we have to do. And so in seasons of having to persist in prayer, in seasons of what the Bible calls even enduring faith, there's different types of faith. The Bible calls one of them enduring faith. Enduring faith is faith that takes a while. (laughs) Faith that what you're believing for, it's just taken a while. And in the process, it's forming something in you. I'm going to give you some scriptures in a minute because there's also scriptures that talk about God answers quickly. Have you ever noticed his quickly and my quickly don't always line up? <laughs> but there's this piece with he is forming something in us. I'm not in persistent prayer, twisting his arm to the point where he's finally like, all right, you win. I am, there is something happening to me. There are times that if I would be really honest with myself, and you would too, you would look back for things you were praying for, and if you could look at it from an honest, healthy perspective, you would say, if I'd gotten it when I asked for it, it would have crushed me. And then the ability to be able to say, thank you, God, for waiting. Now, some of you are waiting, and you're like, I've waited long enough. I, <laughs> I don't have, you know, I don't have those answers, but... I know that we're not, a, prayer is not so much about changing God as much as it is forming us so that he can respond. And the deeper I dive into it, I'm continually just reminded that we need to be shaped more in his image. And so prayer, this communion with God, this constant communion does that. It shapes us over time. And, and you begin to, you begin to um, pick up the spirit. Have you ever noticed, good or bad, I, you know, parents for sure will know what I'm talking about. But you do this too. When someone has began to hang out with someone else that there's something off, like they're offended, they're bitter, they're upset, and you have extended times of communication where you talk to them every week, all of a sudden, guess what happens? Typically, you start feeling offended and bitter and upset. Now, wait a minute, nothing happened to you. What happened? The more that you commune with someone, you will pick up the spirit that's behind the conversation. Which is why, um, as a pastor, I'm just going to tell you something that we've noticed with people. When I know someone is offended, I can pull through the parking lot, and I can see two people talking, and I know what's going on. Now, I don't pull over and be like, hey, what are you talking about? I, (laughs) but... Every pastor that has done this for a while knows that sooner or later, 
You have to find somebody. If you want to keep empowering the lie, you need to find agreement. Because it's only so long it's going to live with just you. But I have to find someone else to agree with me. And so this is the thing. Communion with a person, with God, no matter what, the reality is, is a conversation that is continual will sooner or later, you will pick up the spirit behind it. That's why if you have caught yourself, and I have been guilty of the same, of having a conversation with someone, sometimes it's not the words that are being said. I come away from it feeling, you ever come away from it feeling just like, yuck? I'm like, I didn't think anything was said wrong, but I feel yuck. There's a spirit behind the conversation. Usually for me, that's where discernment comes in. And discernment says, I'm going to use some wisdom here. I'm not, first of all, going to engage a whole lot. And in, in, maybe it's a topic. Maybe it's something the moment you got on it, you felt their spirit. <laughs> so I'm gonna, we're going to stay away from that topic. Um, it's having boundaries and saying, listen, I, this is you, but I'm, I don't have a boundary in my life. You're not going to talk about that with me. Wow, that'd be a crazy thought. Yeah. We've had people that have, uh, I've so admired throughout the years that were in, not in uh, this particular person I'm thinking of wasn't in the church when I ministered, but um, people had tried to talk negatively about a leader, and this one lady in the church said, nah, you're not talking to me about that. You're, you're not, <laughs> the enemy would love to think, well, may, just hear him out, maybe you can change him. And uh, I was a youth pastor. I heard that, and uh, that's an that's a immature thought. You know how many teenagers told me, I want to date this person, but I can change them? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe it will happen. But um, I'm just saying that when you are in communication with people, and the same is true on the positive, though, when you constantly are in communion with God, you pick up the spirit of God behind the conversation. And all of a sudden, you begin to see things differently. You went into prayer. Here's how it works. Here's how you know. You went into prayer. You felt this way. You communed with God. You came out of prayer feeling great. Nothing changed except you. You are being formed more like him because the more you talk to him, you're picking up his spirit. Nothing changed, which is why people that are in constant communion with God are stable. They're just steady. They may bump up every now and then they come back down, but it's not this, ooh. It's this maybe, you know, don't get me wrong, we get these. But it's like I'm constantly talking to God about it. It, I don't even need, some of us going like, I just need to hear you, God. I just need a word. You know, you, it's great when you get a word, right? It's great when God comes up and someone gives you a word from the Lord and it's like confirming. I had that this morning. It was great because I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Because I'm going to talk to you about praying for those who persecute you. And in the prayer room, Lucas comes up to me. And <laughs> it's the weirdest word. He's like, I just saw somebody slapping you in the face. I'm like, oh, this is a great word. Um, this is a wonderful start to a word. And he's like, and I just see you like staying steady. And he's like, I just see you being able to bless those who persecute you. And for me, that was a perfect confirmation of what I'm getting ready to speak on. This is literally right here. Those are great. But in all reality, we don't always get to walk into a time with prayer and God just gives us a really clear word and we come out great. But I know that if I can keep talking to him, I'll start acting like him. Even without a word, 
And by the way, there's lots of great words in here. <laughs> if you want a word on demand from me, I'm probably going to give you a scripture reference. Because <laughs> I got lots of great words on demand. But I'm, I'm not real big into being, never mind. <laughs> never mind. So <laughs> let's talk about this. Uh, so you begin to, you begin to um, talk like, you begin to pick up the spirit of the one that you're talking to. And, and so I want you to now, let's see here, get us, let's see. I'm buttoning my shirt because my wife texted me. And said, I'm just going to say it because I couldn't think for a minute. So now I'm buttoned. <laughs> Whenever your wife texts you a wardrobe malfunction, you have to be careful. Could have been worse. We're good. <laughs> I tried. I, she tried. I lost my thought. I thought I'd just be honest. And so if you begin communing with God enough, you begin to get the heart behind the conversation, just like you do with anyone else. And so we are just designed to be in constant constant communion with God. And so areas of our life that are without prayer, without communion, we put up a vacant sign for the enemy. And this is really important. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard over the years was by Napoleon, and he said this. He said, the object of war is victory. The object of victory is conquest, and the object of conquest is occupation. Now, I want you to think about this. The object of war is victory. The war's been won. Amen? It, it, we sing the songs like those. The enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold him down. You know, we, we have tons of songs about singing that the battle has been won. So hopefully we, <laughs> hopefully we all agree on that one. I think that much of our life then as a believer has been conquesting. What does that mean? So the victory has been won. Now it's our job to go into the areas and to release kingdom and to, and to come in and say, enemy, you have lost your right to this land. You've been beat. I'm taking it now. Yeah. Right? Spiritually, we take it. But there's a third piece that we don't always think about, and it's occupying the areas that we have ownership. When, when there's a lack of occupation in an area of your life, the enemy looks for it. The battle was won at the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Most of us are pretty familiar with conquest, but I want us to understand this piece about, about occupation because occupation is a big deal. There's this law, I don't know what it is. I know it in, for England because I have a funny story connected to it, but it's called the squatter's law. And I don't know what it is in America, but I ran into a situation when I was in England as a, as a teenager and I was a drummer and I went with his band and we played worship stuff. And uh, we, were in a, we were in a second floor condo, uh, uh, a townhome. And I, I thought it was weird when I got there that there was like an extension cord coming up from the, the house below us and plugged into this lady's foyer. I say, that's weird. And so um, we got there, and long story short, in the middle of the night, like, party music started. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm tired. So trying to go to bed, and uh, I, I, we text this lady, and we're like, you know, you know that this person's basically powering their whole condo from your outlet. She's like, oh, I didn't know that. Unplug it. 
I'm like, oh, sure, okay. <laughs> so we unplugged it. <laughs> so, and the person came beating on the door, hey, plug back in the power. <laughs> Long story short, they were squatting on that property because squatter's rule in England is it's something like 10 years. It's really long, but if you can squat on a piece of property for 10 years, the property can become yours. It's a law. Look it up. Now, the funny part of that story is he got very upset with us. And this was back in the day of CDs. And there was a, you know when there's a scratch on a CD? It goes, to do to do to do to do to do He left it on full blast for hours on a battery-powered boombox and left, going, to do 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 I about laid hands on somebody that night. There's this, there's this reality in the kingdom with, with the enemy is looking for this vacant places in our life that he wants to come in, and he believes that if I can squat here long enough, I'll begin to take influence over this area. And there's this thing with communion with God, and I want you guys to go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Matthew 5, 43, so Matthew 5. There's this thing with God where I believe that the example was set uh, before us with Adam and Eve. You guys remember what the very initial communion with God looked like? Remember, they walked. Where'd they walk? They walked through the perfect garden. Everything was good, but they just walked. They strolled. They communed together. And so the enemy is looking for space to set up on your land. So in Matthew chapter 5, that's still 1 Thessalonians. That would be why there's no 43. This is why I use a Bible. Matt. About to. There we go. So here's an interesting scripture. Matthew chapter 5. You've probably already read it now. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I'm going to read that again. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I want to look at this for a moment because I want to, um, I want to give some context for this. When we read passages about praying in scriptures, I, I, I really believe that this piece on being able to love your enemies, to be able to pray for those who persecute you is much bigger than we know. I actually think it's something huge. I, I, I'm going to show it to you in a moment. I think all of creation is waiting for you to love your enemies. This is about the position of your heart. It's not about boundaries. It doesn't mean because someone is attacking you and persecuting you that you, op- you have them come over to dinner every week and hopefully work it out. That's not wisdom. This whole passage is about your heart, not the enemy. This is really important to understand. There's, we have to get this because we have to have discernment and understanding and the Bible even uses the word judgment when operating with people within the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, it actually says that it is up to the believers to judge within the house. And it says that God will judge outside the house. 
So this, this idea of, oh, it's a believer, you know, we just have to work it out. No, there's, there's wisdom involved here. It doesn't mean that your heart, though, can be, God is so good that he says, okay, it's one thing, you're going to have to discern this and use wisdom and not welcome them into a place of toxicity in your life, but it doesn't excuse the fact that your heart needs to be pure towards them and you have to be able to bless them. You want to know when your heart goes good towards someone, try to bless them. You'll find out real fast. Father, I bless, uh, yeah, and if you got no words, (laughs) it's a good indicator. It's like, okay, maybe my heart isn't there yet. I tell people all the time after you argue with your spouse, try blessing them. You'll find out if you've forgiven them yet. (laughs) I bless you to stop that. (laughs) Well, I bless you to shut your mouth, you know. And so it's important to understand that there's, it's okay to have healthy boundaries. But this is talking about also the health of your heart towards people. And so in this passage in Matthew, it's not saying that when you bless your enemies, you're born again. That's not what it means. Your salvation, your salvation experience, you coming into the kingdom has to do with you putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So it can be misleading. But I want to read this to you. There's a few different translations, but I want to read it to you from the Amplified Bible. It says... You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may show yourselves to be the children of the Father in heaven. It doesn't save you. It demonstrates the kingdom through you. Bless those who persecute you so that it will demonstrate through you, it will show you to be a son and a daughter. Are you with me still? When we're in communion with God and we begin to pray for our enemies, it doesn't make us these sons and daughters. It reveals us as sons and daughters. And so think about Jesus on the cross. Remember one of the last things that he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's such a powerful prayer. How many times, I mean, whether they know or they don't know, If we were to take that position, he demonstrated it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's the point? When you can begin to step into a place of blessing people, you can begin to demonstrate to everyone around you and the spirit realm that you're a son and a daughter of God. It manifests your identity as children of God. We see this prototype of this. I love, one of my passions, I just think it's fun, is to go and find things in the Old Testament that are like prototypes of pointing towards something that was to come. We see in Job chapter 42, Job is the weirdest book in the Bible to me. People like Rachel who love this book have problems. Um, <laughs> I... I uh, I haven't, it hasn't become one of my favorites yet. Um, she's always like, I love Job. I'm like, okay. Um, you, if I don't have time to, you know the story of Job. Job basically goes through this whole story, just, just go read it, of losing everything. But it's really, 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 really important that you see something with how it was restored. You have to pay attention to... So here is, it calls them Job's friends. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing to call them friends. But nonetheless, 
the Lord, in the very end, in Job 42, verse 7, he's talking to Job, and, or excuse me, is talking to these friends, and he says to them, my anger is against you. Now, God is upset. And it says, uh, where is it? Tells them that they need to go to Job, and he has to pray for them. Now, this is interesting. So then Job, they come to Job, and, the Lord, and Job prays for him. Now, Job, at this point, there's still, everything's gone. These friends have ransacked him. And the Lord says, here's the deal. For, for them to be forgiven, sound familiar? Forgive those and I'll forgive them. For them to be forgiven, you got to pray for them. But that's between me and them. But you have to pray for them. But for you to be restored, you have to bless your enemies. And then it says, and the Lord, and the Lord restored fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and gave him twice as much as he had had before. Now, this is interesting because they had to come to him, and he had to bless them, and he had to pray for them for his restoration to happen. Now, how often do you think that when someone, this is, this is crazy, this is so anti the way we think, because if someone comes into my life and destroys everything in my life, usually my position is I need to be able to pray for them and bless them just so I can move on. But how often have you taken the position for, I need to be able to pray them and bless them so everything can be restored? Why? Because the Lord wants to make sure that what he's restoring to you, he's restoring to someone who's walking in identity. And when you can bless those who persecute you, you reveal to all of the spirit realm, I am a son or I am a daughter of Christ. And what it does is, is it puts a, I love this, it puts a target. <laughs> you ever felt like there was a target on your back with the enemy? Like weeks, there's like, man, I was just constantly getting hit. But think about it. When you begin to bless those who persecute you, it actually puts a target on your back for heaven. It says, there they are. This idea that, you see, everything has been made accessible to you. Everything has been done about giving to you. But there are things that are reserved. I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture of things that when this happens, this is heaven's response. And this is one area that we know that heaven is saying, listen, there are things that are reserved. Listen, there are things that are reserved just for my sons and daughters. And when you step into places where you reveal that, heaven says, there's one. There's one. And restoration and redemption and your ability to be able to pray for your enemies really impacts your life much more than it does theirs. Romans 8, verse 18. I'm, not, I'm just going to refer to it because we're getting short on time. But Romans verse chapter 8, verse 18 is this interesting passage. Actually, I really should read it. Romans 8. Let's just go there. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Read verse 19 again. For the creation waits eagerly, eager longing for the revealing of sons and daughters. I'm sure you could maybe find more scriptures than what I'm reading this morning, but one thing we know is that when you can bless your enemies, it reveals sons and daughters, and creation is longing for that. Heaven is looking for it. Creation is looking for it. Where are the sons and daughters? And something happens that reveals it when we do certain things in the kingdom. You with me still? <laughs> there, there are certain things in our life, in this earth, that are purposely withheld until sons and daughters are manifested. They're purposely withheld. And we have ways that he said, this reveals you. This puts heaven's eyes on you. Earth will see this. Creation will see this. Now, I want to flip to a, another aspect. Like I said, I'm kind of going to just bounce around a little bit on prayer. So we're going to put a bow on that for right now. Let's just hit this real quick. James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Lack of communion with God opens the door to lack in our life. Lack of just communion with God opens doors in our life for just the devourer to have at it. It's this idea that I talked about at the beginning where the enemy is always looking for an area of vacancy. He's looking for somewhere in your life. Maybe that area of vacancy in your life is a broken relationship that you don't want to go back over there. And I'm just going to stay out of that area. It's like a house. It's like a big house with a room that's full of junk and you don't ever want to go in there and deal with it. And the enemy is happy to get in there and to set up camp. And one area is broken relationships. It's like a room that's full of junk that I'll shut the door and not worry about that. And the enemy says, perfect, I'll come in here. And other area, there's so many areas, but other area would be lack. It would be areas in our life that are lacking. Now, this is amazing to me because there's nothing in this that goes deep into, into a, like, it's not this deep thought. If you do it this way, this way, this way, this way, he'll respond. It's such a simple scripture. You don't have because you don't ask. I don't know what that says in the Greek, but you don't have <laughs> because you don't ask. I wonder how many areas our God is, and, and when you don't have, the next easiest thing to do is to blame. We start with, well, this must not be God's will. I can't imagine how often God is sitting in heaven saying, man, I am tired of hearing that. 
God willing, especially here in the South, that's our phrase. You're going to make it tomorrow? God willing. I don't think God has anything to do with you said your alarm or not. <laughs> but okay, makes you feel better. We, we often have experiences where, where there's lack and we say, you know, I just don't know if that's the will of God. And I really wonder how often has anything to do with the will of God. Or is he in heaven saying, man, that is my will. And he's saying, you just don't have because you don't ask. You're just not staying in a place of communion with me. And I, I don't just, I don't want to, I don't want to take this scripture and twist it into if I pray, I get. I get that. You know, I, I understand that. I don't want to just, you know, I, that would be like, that's just the spirit of stupid, you know. I, I don't want all my prayer life to be, well, I'm not going to get that, but if I pray about it, he'll answer it. No, but there is a reality right here that says that so much happens because you just don't ask. Lack of communion with God. Lack of communion with God opens up doors for the devourer. But a constant communion with God, it, it just it keeps his presence in these different areas of our lives. I want you to see it almost like compartmentalized. We have this, uh, we have this dog. She's a, she's a, I don't know what she is. She's uh, the furry one that you don't like. Um, she's a collie. She's Lassie. She's the same dog as Lassie. I got her in case one of my kids fall in a well. <laughs> Some of you get it. Um, <laughs> we actually have a well that's as old as the one on Lassie. But um, one of the neat things is, like, we have, our, we have an indoor dog. It's a boxer, and it's very soft. It lives well. And this dog's primarily going to live out with the animals. It's there to protect the animals. And so at night, it sleeps in this pen at night. It's a real nice setup. But it's nice because all of a sudden, before, if someone were to walk in the house or someone were to come in certain areas, I had dogs. They'd let me know. Now, if someone walks around the outside of my property or starts to tromp around, I will know. I think it's as simple as the Lord is looking for a constant communion in every area of our life so when the enemy starts to come in, we are in a constant place of communion, and the presence says, that's not okay. Maybe the enemy comes in by saying, you know what? You're never going to get a breakthrough in finances because you're just not, you don't have that entrepreneur thing on your life. And, it, and, and begins to just plant lies. You're never going to get that breakthrough because you're too old. You should have started younger. You should have went through the right career for this. Or you're never going to get into this thing because it's just not going to work like this. And we entertain those, but that is no different than the enemy, uh, someone coming unwelcomed onto my property at night and walking around. But I have this animal that's going to say, yeah, yeah, whoa, 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 you're not allowed here. And constant communion welcomes the presence of God to be in every area of our life that when these thoughts and these lies begin to rise up, it says, no, 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 that's not allowed here. Even if it's coming from someone you love. People give terrible advice in the name of love. It happens all the time. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. But there is this saying called, like, taking it back to the Lord. And is this you? And if I'm really concerned, I'll take it to a whole lot of people <laughs> to pray with. So much of it is just he's there because your prayer life wasn't. 
And the enemy got in there because you weren't there. It's harder to evict than to just keep occupation. It's harder to evict the enemy than it is just to keep it occupied so that he has no ability to come squat on your spiritual land. All right, let's wrap this up. I feel like I'm losing you. Luke 18. Let's go there. Luke 18. This is fun. I'm enjoying my own sermon. (laughs) Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, at least he was honest, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Everybody say speedily. Speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. So so that's a fun scripture because Jesus is, this is Jesus speaking. He's giving this analogy. He's bringing back this story. And he says, basically, um, he's using this judge as he's, he's saying metaphorically, this would be the Father God. But is he not so much better? And will he not respond quickly? And will he not have justice? And so he uses this word. He says, when you persist in prayer, the response will come speedily. Now, like I said at the beginning, speedily, his speedily versus mine seem to not always line up. They just don't. But I think that there's something important that we can learn in this. Because I think it's important for us to understand that our prayer life with our persistency in prayer, and I'm kind of bringing it back where I started. Our persistency in prayer isn't about him as much as it is about us. This, this, when God decides it's time for an answer, the response is speedily. Thank you. That sounds like I've been there. You ever, you ever prayed a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and cried out to God and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and it was just quiet, 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 quiet. And somewhere along the way, it was like the avalanche answer came. It's like an old radio station of sound effects. Talk about the perfect phone drop. <laughs> There's times where we pray to God and we cry out to God and we come before him and we answer him and we don't hear him and we pray and we pray and we pray. And then there comes this point where almost always, somewhere, it may be a month, it may be a week, it may be a year, it may be 10 years, whatever that is, all of a sudden the answers go boom, 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 boom. What has happened? He has responded speedily. 
Speedily doesn't, though, mean that the moment that you pray, there's an immediate response from God. It means when he responds, it's speedily. But there's a process in happening in you and me that when I come before God and I am believing and I am asking and I am still not hearing and I am still not experiencing, but I'm still coming and I'm saying, I trust you. It's easy to trust quick answers. Those are the easy seasons. And sometimes we land in one of those, and it's great. It's like, boom, answer, boom. You know what I'm talking? You just hit those seasons. Like, this is awesome. And you're like, I've hit it. I'm there. And a month later, you're like, no. No, not back here again. And God's like, you know, I don't believe that he creates bad situations to teach you a lesson, but he is really good at taking your mess and saying, I can shape you. And, and don't believe the lie that, okay, well, God had to teach you a lesson. He had to blow your world up to teach you a lesson. No, you're, you can do that without his help. But he can come in and he can say, all right, you blew your world up. But he, I'm going to shape something in you through this. You're going to come out of this. You're going to talk more like me. You're going to sound like me. You're going to think like me. You're just going to look different. And he's so good at that. But the problem is when we stop pressing in prayer, we accept lack of breakthrough as the new normal in our life. And then we create teachings out of it. And we find, remember, we find people to agree with us. Because bad doctrine needs that too. It needs people that have the same hurts and pains as you to amen you. And say, well, that's, you know what, that was my experience too. As if your experience trumps this. And we will begin to create things out of lack. Lack, again, we're going back to the don't become, don't have an area that's not communion with God because it releases lack. Lack is really good about coming up for reasons. Here's why I'm lacking. (laughs) It's not his fault. I remember we had a guy, and I'll wrap it up. In the, in the church years ago. He was a full bird captain, I think. Stephen. Yeah, in the Navy. Navy. And uh, I had a friend that was in the Navy. He got in trouble. Big trouble. Like, it was with a group of guys, and guys pulled out their weapons at a concert, drunk probably, and started firing them in the air. And he didn't, but he was with them. Yeah, they don't take kindly to that. And uh, so immediately, the you know, the police showed up. They locked him up, and he's in this place, (laughs) he's in this place of, uh, he's pretty scared, because he just joined the Navy, which meant that um, if he got to stay, either way, it was not looking good, because he was just going to be swabbing decks the rest of his life, basically, in his Navy life, and um, so I had this friend in the church that was a a captain in the Navy, I thought, you know what, he's going to have to do a court, he's going to go sit before this court, and I said, I thought he could give him some advice, so I remember, we came right here. Sat down she worried. This guy was really direct. He was like, sometimes too direct. You'd be like, man, life is so hard. What's the truth? You know, and you're like, I don't know. And uh, I remember he sat down with my buddy. And uh, he looks him in the eye, and he's scared out of his mind. He was home, and he looks at me and says, all right, first thing, stop blaming other people. He's like, okay. He's like, second thing, don't cry. They don't care. I remember him saying that. Just don't cry. Doesn't move him. 
He said, I've done these. I've watched the best of the best criers. He said, third, he said, he said take responsibility. And uh, so he did. He went back. All of his friends were, you know, dishonorably discharged and severe consequences except him. He got to stay. And then he got his clearance restored to him, which is a miracle that he got clearance restored. I think that often in our life, certain situations, we would rather come up with reasons to blame God, blame the enemy, blame all these different things, when in all reality, there are situations where we have to look at ourselves and say, I thought I got that right, but I might have missed it. It happens. I thought I got that one, but I didn't. And take responsibility. But what happens in that moment is beautiful because when you take responsibility, God's right there saying, oh, we got this. I can work with this. And then he comes in and he is there with you. And you see, there is this place in him, that, this intimacy that him happens with kids that aren't saying, well, he did it. He did it. There's something with even my kids. If they come up to me and just, I, I messed up. I broke this. I need to just be honest. It is such a different connection than, well, I didn't do it. Okay, well, then that happened on its own. Well, they did it. Probably not me. Probably them. And there's just this, if, if, not, if not, he's so much better than me. So even as just an earthly dad doing his best, imagine how he feels when you say, I, that was me. I want to talk to you a minute in closing this. If you're dealing with offense and bitterness right now, because I feel it in the room, the ability to say to God, I don't know how I got here, but I'm taking responsibility. Because somehow along the way, I open myself back up to this. And he says, all right, let's, let's step out of that. If you have no money, if you're in a position where, and I'm not saying that maybe sometimes just reasonable, just bad things happen, but my experience in most people that are in tough financial situations, this is not across the board, but a lot of them come back to bad decisions. Yeah, the quiet says amen all by itself. It's not always the case, but a lot of them, that's, that happened. The ability to say, I think I messed up there. Would you help me? Because you see, a lot of his answer is all about waiting to form you. If you would go into prayer and the first thing in your prayer life would be more about getting yourself formed than just getting the answer, your prayer life will change. When you go into prayer and you need something and there's something that you need from the Lord, if you would start with what needs to change in me, opposed to, Lord, oh, I'm going to fast 40 days for this. And you're going to, I'm going to twist your arm until you break through. <laughs> and maybe fasting will do it because that will reduce you, trust me. But so often it's about, Lord, what do you need to do in me? And being the quicker that you can say, I did that. Quicker he can say, we're getting somewhere. Let's begin to now deal with this piece.
This is why the sermon is so big. The sermon can help you know how to pray. And I talked about it at the beginning. I'm not going to hit it again. I'll hit it another week, speaking in tongues. I think, God is, I think God is just welcoming us into just such a greater life. I have such a greater life of communion with him. I was excited about this today. I, I really have been because I, I want to see people just come into a greater understanding of who he is and seeing areas of their life that are vacant. I have learned something. Just, it's just true, especially at a church. If there is a room you're not using, it fills up with junk. Anyone that's ever been in a church, worked in a church, maybe you have a home with lots of extra rooms, maybe you're that extra, your garage, that's, yeah. Um, When there are rooms that are not used, there is something that happens. Everyone else feels the right to that room now because you're not taking ownership of it. There are areas in your life where when we will take occupation in those areas and say, no, nah, you're not allowed in that area. I'm here. I'm present. The enemy will all of a sudden, up. Oh, I can't get in that room anymore. And that begins to change your life. And it all is about just occupation. It's not about the secret prayer recipe. It's occupation. It's occupation. It's occupation. My home, I lived in a house um, before the one I'm in, and we had this power line easement behind my house, and nobody could build on it. So it was like this land, but you couldn't build on it. And everyone would always ask me the same thing. Like, there's my house. You could see the neighbor's house. You could see where we all live. But they said, Who land, whose land is that back there? Why? Because there is something that is just stated clearly that when there's occupation on a piece of land, it's yours. But when there is a lack of something being occupied, it opens the door for whose property is this? And so it's all about occupying. Let's stand up. I'll pray for you. I want to release you on Father's Day to um, spend time with whatever that looks like for you. But we just want to um, wrap it up. So there's going to be a church cleaning day in every room (laughs) after this certain... I'm joking. Um, I want to have the prayer team come up this morning. I still want to have an opportunity. So if we have members of the prayer team ready to pray this morning, great. They can go ahead and come up right now. You can close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much, so very much for just that you have set, you've, you've set this up for us to win. We so often make this harder than you are trying to make it. And you are just inviting us into a place of constant communion with you in every area of our life. In our relationships, Father, in our work, in our family, every area. And in that place of communion, Father, you are evicting the enemy that is squatting anywhere in our life. He has to go. So I just really, I declare that over you this morning. If there's areas that feel hopeless, We are declaring that the enemy is evicted out of that area of your life. If there are areas that feel pain that has been there for a very long time that you've been believing for a healing, I just declare that the enemy would be evicted out of that area. If there's any hold from the enemy in that area of your life, he has to go. And in relationships and connections, God, we just, that area of life, we tell the enemy, you are evicted. You are evicted. 
We love you, Father. We thank you for that you are for us. You're so for us. So we bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, well, if you need prayer, they will join you in prayer this morning. But otherwise, bless a couple people around you before you leave and have a wonderful day and a wonderful Father's Day for all the dads in the room. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.